it's interesting that muscles are often blamed, you know, for, you know, these terrible muscles. They're working too hard or they're not working hard enough or then, you know, but remember, muscles are all driven by the nervous system. So um, why is that occurring? Differential diagnosis of buttock pain. It can be a little bit tricky, whether it's coming from your back, your hip, your SIJ, your piriformis syndrome. So to help us with this topic, we had Alison Grimaldi on today's episode. Now, Alison is the principal physio at Physiotech. She's a research fellow at Queensland, published on a lot of papers. She's got 25 years of clinical experience in this space. So she really helped us out by going in depth around some of these differentials. I'm Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Alison, thank you for joining us and thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks very much for the um, invitation, Mick, and to Physio Network. It's great to be here. No problems. We were talking in email about this big topic of how we differentiate buttock pain. And first of all, let's zoom right out. We've got SIJ, we've got back, we've got piriformis, we've got hip. And you're talking about zooming out what are the assessments or tools we need to be aware of rather than just saying this is a buttock pain and giving a very general treatment? Yeah, I think that's an important point to try to sort of widen our view, I suppose, you know, away from just, you know, this is SIJ pain or, or you know, it's it's a buttock issue or you've got overactive glutes, those sorts of things. So, um I think first being aware of the potential sources and then recognizing common presentations. Um, so that's sort of what you need, if you like, in your, in your clinical reasoning model when someone walks in with buttock pain. So, uh, let's look at remote sources. So the most likely remote source is going to be lumbar spine. So when anyone walks in with buttock pain, lumbar spine is something that you always need to consider and test for. And then local sources of nociception. Basically, think of it as what structures are in the region. So you're looking at your hardware, your software, you know, your your <laughs> CPU, if you like, your nervous system. So you know, the hard things in the pelvis are, of course, going to be the bones and the joints. So if you think bones and joints, so joints, we're going to have your sacroiliac joint and your hip joint, and then we've got your software, your soft tissues, if you like, so muscles, tendons, bursa, ligaments, fascia. Uh, and then we've got the nervous system. So, of course, we've got the big sciatic nerve that we're all, you know, very aware of. But there's also lots of other smaller nerves uh, in the buttock as well. So, I think just thinking of all those things first and then trying to go, right, well, how might we recognise the presentation of these different sources? And really commonly you were saying that it's either just labelled that's an SIJ or that's a overactive or an underactive glute. Are they the common mistakes you're seeing? Yeah, well, I think perhaps perhaps it's buttock pain is a little bit uh, simplified or or often there's like when I see patients who come in with buttock pain who've had lots of treatments before, the most common thing that they're told is either it's your sacroiliac joint mm. or and with that often your pelvis is out of place which yeah. is not terribly helpful um it's you know underactive glutes or overactive glutes so your glutes are not working or your glutes are working too hard yeah. uh, or 
Um, the other sort of common thing is that it's piriformis syndrome. And piriformis syndrome is often used as a bit of a, you know, catch-all for any buttock pain or particularly for mid-buttock pain. And mm. often when people are told that you have piriformis syndrome, the person is actually um, talking about a muscular a muscular uh, source uh, when actually if you use piriformis syndrome in its correct terminology, it's actually um, a sciatic nerve entrapment or irritation. And, you know, these days it's more commonly called deep gluteal syndrome. Again, these syndrome terms I don't think are terribly helpful um, because they're often misused. Um, but yes, sciatic nerve is a significant, you know, uh, source that we have to consider um, in uh, buttock pain. But I don't think terms like piriformis syndrome, particularly if you're using it for, oh, you've just got something sore in your buttock. So it must be piriformis syndrome. So I think we have to be much more specific about our diagnoses and, and trying to get to the bottom of buttock pain, if you like. Good pun. It's sad that you're still <laughs> hearing things like your pelvis is out of place. But let's let's drill down into lumbar spine versus SIJ. What are some clinical tips you would give us to differentiate between the two? Okay, so lumbar spine SIJ, I mean, there's some commonalities, of course, in mm. that, you know, there's often sort of pain in this sort of low back lumbosacral sort of area, differentiating things. Um so pain that goes below the knee, and particularly if we're talking paresthesias into the leg or the foot, obviously you're going to think, okay, that's more likely to be um, back pain. Um, sacroiliac joint, we're really looking to be convinced um, that this is a sacroiliac joint as a source of nociception. Um, we are sort of looking at pain in what has been referred to as the Fortin's area, which is basically around the PSIS and and, and specifically sort of inframedial to the, the posterior superior iliac spine, so in that very localised area. Um, so that's something that you need to be looking for because a lot of people are told they have SIJ pain and they don't have any pain actually around the sacroiliac joint at all. Their pain might be mid-buttock um, or lower buttock. Um, so it's much more convincing if the area of pain is around the sacroiliac joint and that that area of pain is specifically provoked by loading across the sacroiliac joint. So, mm. um, you know, patient reported type activities would be things like uh, moving from sit to stand, so for, on initial loading of that sacroiliac joint. And some people um, with true sacroiliac joint dysfunction will say they actually have a lot of difficulty initially taking load um, on that uh, leg. So moving into single leg stance um, may be difficult. Uh, things that strain across that sacroiliac joint, like wide leg positions, like sumo type squats or um, you know deep split lunge type positions you know, walking upstairs, things that sort of create some torsional sort of load across the pelvis are are often provocative. Um, Rolling in bed is something that they often uh, note. Uh, So that's something to just keep an eye out because it's not something that's that specific for, you know, hip joint or lumbar spine necessarily, unless it's really acute lumbar spine. And But the pain is specifically in that, you know, around that sacroiliac joint area. So I 
I think too often people are diagnosed with SIJ issue for, you know, any pain in the buttock, any pain sort of in that mid-buttock sort of area. So I think um, being specific about that is important. Uh, and then, you know, of course, doing, you know, some you know, clinical tests uh, around that as well. So the most common, you know, tests, you know, that have been looked at in the literature are things like your um, your posterior shear test or your thigh thrust, sometimes called your P4 test, um, FABER. But again, FABER is a test of a lot of things. So it does have to really sort of reproduce that pain in that SIJ area. Um, so I'd usually, you know, put my hand around there and making sure that um, that is the area like at that sacroiliac joint, um, your Gainsland's test, which is effectively a torsional load. So it's, it's sort of like a, a modified Thomas test where you've got one leg up to your chest, one leg, you know, in extension. So you're testing that sacral thrust, you know, those sort of compression distraction tests. So there's, there's some specific sort of tests that you can do. But I think um, one thing I probably want to say about SIJ test is, uh, well, SIJ is a sort of source of um, nociception or, or dysfunction. It's quite a polarizing thing, SIJ, isn't it? Um, so there's the complete non-believers. It should never be considered at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's the people who sort of diagnose every second person with SIJ dysfunction. Um, now, I think, you know, we don't want to uh, just throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you like, and say, right, SIJ pain just doesn't exist. It does. Um, but probably the research suggests that it's more likely to be the ligaments around the sacroiliac joint. And they have lots of sort of, you know, nociceptive fibres and they carry large loads. So certainly it needs to be considered as a source of nociception. But instability, um, if you like, is quite rare. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that is really overdiagnosed and the whole pelvis is out of place thing um, is very unhelpful. And, you know, that really should be perhaps taken out of the vocabulary of um, health and exercise professionals. You're busting some myths here, which is great. You can never hear that message too much, especially if patients are still walking in with that message. I wanted to ask you, this might actually move us into treatment. What do you think the consequence of the misdiagnosis is? Or, or what do you see the consequences for the patient? Let's say they think they've got an SIJ, it's been misdiagnosed. And I'm going to be even more specific. There's a, there's a shift or what I'm seeing is a shift towards, well, we can just load it. So whether it's your back or your SIJ, I'm just going to do this anyway. And like maybe just sit under your pain threshold and then slowly load you out of injury. I, how are you seeing that play out with the misdiagnosis across these areas? Uh, yeah, as you say, I mean, there's a lot of things that if you um, just address the impairments, mm. uh, that may be adequate mm. uh, for a lot of things. But Sometimes that doesn't work out so well because there are particular positions or ranges of motions or activities that are provocative for different conditions. Yeah. So, for example, if you get someone who walks in with um, and what they actually have is a true sciatic nerve impingement, which might be a deep gluteal syndrome, uh, if you want to diagnose it as that, um, they often do really poorly, one, with massage through the buttock um particularly if elbows are involved yeah. uh and 
you know, particular loading exercise. Like if, if so, if you just go, I'm just going to do what I do for all buttock pain, massage them and strengthen them. Yes. They often do really poorly um, unless you sort of figure out, you know, what's the driver, what's the issue and they need, you know, very much a paste graded exposure type approach and, and trying to figure out why this person is presenting like this. So for example, like that response that, um, you know, citing people who've been diagnosed with deep gluteal syndrome, some of them um, actually have posterior joint instability. And so if you miss that, then they just go for ages and ages having these different interventions, which might, you know, involve, you know, quite invasive things, you know, as well, uh, injections and, um, you know, adhesiolysis procedures for their knee, for their um, nerve and sometimes even ending up in piriformis release, surgical release. Um, but if the issue is actually an underlying instability of the hip joint, then that's the thing that needs to be addressed and it needs to be picked up early enough. Otherwise, people go through, you know, all this, you know, years and years of misdiagnosis and perhaps treatment that's really not getting to the root cause. So I think we really need to make sure we explore the mechanisms because our treatment might be a bit different depending on what the driver is for that particular presentation. And just before we started recording, you were speaking about this overactive, underactive glute. You hear that a lot as well. Mm. And you mentioned something that that's more the consequence rather than the driver. Could you speak to what you're seeing there? Yeah, well, it's interesting that muscles are often blamed, you know, for, you know, these terrible muscles, they're working too hard or they're not working hard enough or then, you know, but remember, muscles are all driven by the nervous system. So, um, why is that occurring? Why is there upregulation of the glutes, um, you know, or, you know, the deep rotators? And there's usually a reason. So, common reasons why it might be, I mean, one, they might just be weak. Um, So, we know from our EMG studies that we get increased recruitment or sustained recruitment um, of muscles or, or portions of muscles in the in the buttock uh, when you are weak. Um, so it could just be, you know, if you don't have, you know, big enough muscle fibers, you're going to use more of those muscle fibers to achieve the same uh, activity. So it might just be weakness, yeah. but not always. And so you can't always just go, right, let's just strengthen it. Um, so there can be, you know, pain response. So it might be a muscle guarding. Um, And particularly, as I just mentioned before, like if you have an underlying instability, that might be a very good reason um, why you have some increased recruitment of muscles at the back of your hip. So for example, if you have an acetabular dysplasia presentation where you have acetabular retroversion and uncovering, relative uncovering of the back of the hip joint, um, when you go into a squat position, that deficient acetabular is going to relatively uncover the head of the femur. So those muscles are going to work harder uh, to protect, you know, the back of your hip joint. So there might be very good reasons for that. And then the same with, you know, your glutes aren't working. Are they really not working? I mean, um, you know, if they're not working, they're either, you know, <laughs> there's some sort You're of nervous system issue Um you know, so we might need to look for, and and you can definitely get um, things like um, superior or inferior gluteal nerve injury, um, and that can be related to you know issues as they come out of the the greater sciatic notch, or it can be a surgical thing, say after a, a hip replacement. So you can actually get um, you know 
paralysis or, or you know, definite um, impact on nerve um, uh, nerve supply to those muscles. But also it might just be that they're, um, you know, not big and bulky just because they are understimulated and that's because of the way they're standing and moving. So if you've got someone standing in a posterior pelvic tilt with an anterior translation and that's how they stand and walk and move up and down stairs and they have, you know, they use their thighs much more than their glutes, um, often it's just a, a stimulus thing that, you know, if you actually put them in a position where their glutes are naturally challenged, they can activate them. And so sometimes it's just about, okay, changing the stimulus. So again, it's just going back to what's the mechanism. Let's look at the mechanism. It's not just you are a naughty muscle and we have to, uh, you know, massage it or kill this muscle. Um, you know, if it's overactive, you know, that is not going to be a solution. Um, you know, that will give you at best very short term um, mm. effect. And often it makes things worse. Or it sort of, um, you know, encourages the patient to believe that, you know, the solution to their situation is this passive, you know, massage, massage, massage all the time. And I'm not saying you can never massage. That's okay as an adjunct treatment, but it's just getting to the bottom um, of, you know, what is the mechanism. Yeah, there's some really wonderful thoughts there, Alison. If you were to summarize this and... I guess what you're seeing, let's say you're a clinician who is seeing a patient who has struggled for a little while with pain in this area, what would be your, your top two or three suggestions or tips to kind of help along that journey? Yeah, I think just try to go back to basics and review what are the possible sources and what are the types of presentation uh, features that might sort of you know, steer you in one direction or another. And particularly if they've already had treatment, like if they've seen other people before and they've had massage and they've had, you know, a, a fairly good exercise program, you need to just think a little bit, you know, beyond, you know, just doing those basic things and try mm. to think about the mechanisms and, and the drivers. Um, and yeah, I, I think just stepping through it, through a framework, think of all those different sources, um, how they might present, what things might be causing a problem for those particular uh, tissues and trying to then use your clinical reasoning to figure out how we might change those things. And, and I think that... Um, Taking that time in your patient interview, I can't emphasize enough how important that is because behavior of pain and mechanism of injury or uh, history of onset are incredibly important. And they give you great tips for where you're going to go in your physical assessment and in your treatment. Uh, and then you also need to explore, obviously, the psychosocial aspects um, and the general health aspects because you don't want to be missing things like ankylosing spondylitis or those, you know, spondyloarthropathies. So you need to be thinking those things as well. Alison, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really helpful podcast for differentiating pain in that region. So a big thank you. 
Yeah, no problem at all, Mick. And um, I know it was a very short period of time to get through a lot of content, uh, but uh, by the time this goes live, I will actually have my blog up online. Um, so uh, to accompany this, I've written out some uh, more detailed information for listeners uh, on my blog at Um So they can go along to the blog page there and and spend some more time sort of looking through the, the common sources and presentations of buttock pain. So that might be helpful too. I was lucky enough to get a sneak peek and it's got a beautiful cascade explaining how you could go through this systematically. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Great. Thanks for having me here today, Mick.